I want to start this morning with a phrase. And it's an important phrase because it has a lot of significance. And I need you to listen carefully. The phrase is this. Whatever is not growing is dead. Ooh. Whatever isn't growing is dead by definition. I don't know if you've heard that before. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you growing? Now, I stopped growing a while ago in terms of stature, thankfully. Otherwise, I would probably be like 20 foot tall. Um, when I hit six foot, that was it, no more. But I'm still growing in other ways. My fingernails, my hair. Some of you guys are like, I wish my hair would still grow. Um, sorry, just, just throwing that one out there. The Bible does talk about that, but we'll, we'll not go into that today. Um, but it's true, because whatever isn't growing is dead. When something dies, it stops growing. When something stops growing, it's dead. And today, it's important to realize that because God wants us to understand what it means to grow and that we should grow in our lives, in every area. And I don't know if you guys remember, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about a principle in the, in the Bible, the principle of the kingdom of, of God. Do you guys remember what it was? No, I'm going to remind you. The principle of harvest. And the principle of harvest is what? Sow to expect. Sow in the ground so that God gives you something back. But today, I want to look at the actual growth. The growth of something. And what it means to grow. And I want to read a passage in Luke chapter 13 and verse 6. This is another parable that Jesus is speaking. And it says this, and he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which he had planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it but did not find any. He said to the the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. What do we learn from this? Very simple. You can't get something new from something old. You can't get a new result by doing the same thing you've always done. You can't grow by continuing to do what you do. If you want something new, you've got to do something new. If you want something new in your life, if you want fruit, if you want to produce, if you want to grow, you've got to do something new. What did this man do? It said that he dug around it and put in fertilizer. Now, where I'm from, in sunny England, I talk a lot about England, don't I? Sorry, I'm not sick. I love it here more than I do England. But where I'm from, there are lots of fields. 
And the fields are made of clay. How many of you know what clay is? A couple of you. Some of you are like... Let me explain. It's very simple. Clay is a type of ground, a type of soil that's very hard and very sticky. And because of that, they use it to make pots and pans, and they, they mold it and then put it in the fire, and they bake it, and it becomes hard. But clay is not very good ground for sowing into because it's hard and sticky. And I used to go walking in these fields, and you would, you would walk across a field of clay, and you'd get to the other end of the field, and you'd be like this. Because your feet would be full of clay because it sticks to you. Let me teach you a word. In, in Newcastle, it's called clarts. See, say to the person next to you, clarts. Clarts is like mud that sticks to you, that gets all dirty. And clay is just like that. It sticks to your feet. And it sucks for trying to grow in. But you can. You can grow in clay. The answer is in what you do to the clay before you see the growth. And the first thing you have to do is break it up. Is break the clay down. And they plow the fields with these massive, now they're like huge, great big like tractors that, that dig up all the ground and and if you go to England, you see a lot of this, like clay fields that are all like turned upside down. And if you do that, then it produces soil that allows you to grow in. The Bible talks about our hearts as being the seat, the place where God plants the seed of his word into. And if you've ever read Matthew, it says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what you have in your heart grows in you and comes out of you. My question to you is, what is growing in your heart today? What is growing in your heart? Is anything growing? Is something good growing or is something bad growing? But if today you sat there thinking, well, I don't even know if anything's growing in my heart. Maybe you've sat in church and you've heard messages before, or you've read the Bible, but it's kind of like bounced off you. Why? Because your heart is hard like clay. And when God gives you his word, it just bounces right off you. And it's not because you don't want it, it's just because you're numb. You're like this. Have you ever felt like that in church? No one's admitting. Muy bien. Very good. You're not admitting to it. Well, you know, this is, this is the kind of person that has a bit of a hard heart. And it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. It just means God hasn't worked in their heart. And they're sat there like this. And then afterwards you're like, oh, how, how are you doing, you know, brother, brother Andrew or brother Philip? You know, how are you doing, brother? And they're like, oh, really good. I'm so good today. Yes, great, 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 great message. Great service. And you're like, oh, what did God minister you do? Oh, it was just great. Really good. Just all that stuff, you know, about the Bible. And I just felt good, you know. It wasn't anything in particular, but it just felt good to be in the atmosphere, you know. Really good. And then Monday morning, nothing's changed. Nothing's grown. Nothing's 
made a difference in that person's life. God's word is not bearing fruit in your life. It means that you're dead. It means that your heart has grown hard. And that is why when this man comes to see his fig tree, after three years, there's nothing. There's nothing on this fig tree, no fruit. And the man in this passage represents God. And the fig tree represents each one of us. God planted us. He brought us forth. He's given us a great church, great leaders, people to help us. And most of all, he's given us his word. The question is, are you growing? Are you bearing fruit? Or are you the same year in, year out? Does God come to you and say, where's the fruit? And you're like, it's coming. I'm just chilling here. I'm just going to church on a Sunday. I'll just get the message and... I'm just like taking it all in and thinking about it and it's going around my head and my mind, but it's not going around your heart. And for that reason, there's nothing. What does God say to that fig tree? God's pretty extreme. God's pretty hardcore. The Bible talks about God's love. God's love is eternal, it's great and it's powerful and it's amazing, but God is also a just God. And he expects a return for the, the crop that he's, that he's planted. That's us. God doesn't just plant us for no reason so we can feel good. God plants us so that he can find something out of us. He can bring something out of us and produce a fruit that lasts for all eternity. And when he comes to us and he sees us with no fruit, what did he say? Chop it down. Whoa. How many of you wanted to hear that message today? No one woke up this morning and like, yes, I'm going to hear an awesome message in church and it's going to be that God's going to chop me down if I don't bear any fruit. <sighs> I'm ready for it. But it's what the Bible says. When God comes to our lives, if we're the same year in, year out, and we don't grow, and we don't increase, and God doesn't do a work in our hearts, we don't allow his word to produce something, it comes to a point when God says, you're just taking up space. Somebody else could be in that seat. And you're like, what do I do? What do I do to produce something in my life? What do I do to produce fruit? What do I do to grow? Before we get into that, I just want to say this. It's important to know that it doesn't matter what stage you're at. So long as you're growing. Some people might be down there. Maybe you just started in your walk with God. That's cool. You don't have to be preaching to the millions. You just got to start growing. Little by little. God expects growth. But he doesn't expect the unexpected. He doesn't expect you to be six foot tall two months after you're born. That's the nature of growth. It takes time, and it's a process. It doesn't matter where you're at today, but it does matter if you're growing or not, because if you're not, it means you're dead, and God doesn't want dead Christians. He wants us to be alive. 
He wants us to be full of life. He wants us to be expressing ourselves and our love for him to all this world, to everyone who doesn't know him. He wants us to be alive. So how do we get to that point of growth? How do we grow? What does it say here? What did the man do? First, he dug around the tree. He dug up that clay. What do you have to dig up in your life in order to grow? The truth is you're a result of the soil that you're planted in. And the soil that you're planted in is where you're at in life. What you do in your daily life. What you read. What you watch. The things you say. The things you listen to. What is your soil like? Is it good soil or is it bad soil? Because if you're not producing fruit, it means it's bad soil. What do you have to do? Dig it up. Get rid of it. And what are we speaking about here? I want to tell you three things that you've got to get rid of your life and three things that you've got to replace it with. And we find it in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. If you have your Bibles, you can turn. Back in the old days, at this point, you would hear all the fluttering of paper. Now it's just like silence as people move their iPads and their iPhones. Whoosh. Miracle of technology. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, it says this, that in reference to your former manner of life, or we can put it like this, your former soil, you lay aside the old self which has been corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The first thing that this passage speaks to us about is corruption. Each one of us, our old nature, has become corrupted. What does corrupted mean? Corrupted means to begin to destroy what was already or what was originally there or originally planned. I had a car, my first car. My grandfather gave it to me. He was old. The car was old. It was a hand-me-down from him, and he'd had it for many years. It was a Saab, a white Saab. You don't really see Saabs around anymore because they went bust. I guess that shows the, what kind of car they were. Um, actually, it was a good car. It was a great car. But the, the thing was, it was so old that it started to get rust on the bodywork. Now, if you have an old car, you know what rust means. Most people here just throw their car away after three years and get a new one so that they don't have to deal with that issue. Well, I, my car, it was like 15 years old. And so it had a lot of rust. The paintwork, the metal was beginning to become corrupted from the inside out. So my dad said, he's like one of those do-it-yourself kind of people. He's like, let's get rid of this. Let's fix up this car. We'll not take it to a body shop because they're going to charge hundreds of pounds. Pounds, not dollars, because that's where I'm from. Hundreds of pounds. And let's just fix it up ourselves. And he'd done a bit of work before on, on cars. He was that kind of person. So we got outside. He went and bought the stuff. He said, this is what we're going to do. The first thing you have to do if you want to fix rust on your car is cut it out. 
Cut out the rust. There's no good just sticking something over the top and then painting it over because the rust is still there underneath. And if it's still there, it continues to work its way through the metal. And then you're just going to get rust appear in other places in the car. See, in order to get rid of rust, you've got to cut it out. It's like that in our lives. Sin is like rust. It corrupts us. It corrupts our hearts. It corrupts who we are. It corrupts our minds. The only way is to cut it out. And not just scrape off the rust, but cut out the metal around the rust to make sure that there's nothing underneath, to cut a big chunk out of the car or out of our lives to get rid of the rust. There are things in your lives I know here that God is speaking to even now that you know that that's corrupting your life. Thoughts you've had. Lifestyle issues, ways you live your life, people you hang out with that are corrupting you. And up till now, you've just kind of like covered it over. You got a bit of like metal and you've stuck it on and you've just painted it over and all that'll do. But underneath, the rust is working its way through your life and corrupting you. Today, God says, if you want to bear fruit, you have to cut it out from the root. You have to cut around it and get rid of it in order to replace it with something new, a new patch. And then, you know, for those of you who are interested, then you put like a piece of gauze, like a metal strip, and you like begin to like plaster over it, and then you sand it down, and then you do it again, and you sand it down, and you paint it, and Momo knows what I'm talking about, because um, that's his job. Um, if you need bodywork fixing, Momo can help you out. Just kidding. <clears throat> it's time to get rid of the rust in your life. In order to receive something new. And that's the opposite. So the thing you've got to dig up in your life is the rust, the corruption. What have you got to put in? In the passage before, in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 13, it says he dug up and then he put in fertilizer. What is the fertilizer that combats corruption? It tells us in Ephesians. It says this. It says, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you want to get rid of corruption in your life, you've got to be renewed. Corruption is the opposite of being renewed. Corruption is destroying what was originally purposed. Renewing is bringing it back. God wants you to be renewed today in the spirit of your mind. Notice it talks about your mind. It's about what you think about the way you think about life, about the way that you think about God, about the way you think about yourself. You have to be renewed. You have to get rid of those old thoughts and start putting in new thoughts. And notice that once you take something out, you've got to replace it with something. You can't just leave it empty. Because if you leave it empty, the corruption starts again. You've got to replace it with something new. When you take out the old from your life, you can't just leave it at that. You have to replace it with something new. You have to put something new into your life. And that's why the Bible says be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Get a new spirit, a new way of thinking, a new mind. I know some of you all here need a, need a brain transplant this morning. You need to get rid of those old thoughts. Some of you here 
you know that they're not good thoughts, but they just keep going round and round your head. Insecurities in your life. Things you think about yourself or think about others. I got a piece of advice for you. It's two words. You don't need to write it down. It's pretty easy to remember. Very powerful words. When these thoughts start coming to your mind. It's very simply this. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop it. Stop thinking those things. Stop allowing them to control you. Just stop. But, it, but, but how? It's easy. Just stop. When those thoughts come into your head, what do you do? You just look at them and say, shut up. Stop it. I don't want you in my mind anymore. I'm renewed. Those corrupt thoughts have gone. I am a new creation. I'm a new person. Get out. You're not going to govern me anymore. Just stop it. And then, once you've stopped it, allow God to put the new thoughts in your mind. Amen? What's the second thing? The second thing is this, and this is the intense one. Lust. Ooh. We don't like using that word because it normally refers to things that we don't like to talk about. But lust in the Bible is very simply wanting something that's not yours. Derek Prince says that the, the Ten Commandments, the last one is thou shalt not covet. You know why? Because all the commandments are summed up in that one commandment. Don't covet what's not yours. Sin comes from wanting something that's not yours. When Satan sinned against God, the very first sin that was ever created was because he wanted something that wasn't his. He desired the throne, the glory of God for himself. He was there. The Bible says he was the, the leader of worship. And he would lead everyone into worship day in, day out. And one day, we don't know what happened, but I'm guessing a thought went through his head. Why is God getting all the glory and I'm getting none? I want some for myself. So I'm just going to take it. And in that moment, sin was born. Wanting something, lusting after something that is not ours. And lust is a good word because it's a strong word. These desires are strong. They well up inside of us and they start to control everything we are. And we start to dream about those things that are not ours. That God hasn't given to us. That we don't need. We begin to lust after them. What is the fertilizer to combat lust in our lives? Look at what it says in Ephesians. It says this, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God. The answer to, re to removing lust in our lives is to put on the new, the new nature. How do you put on the new nature? The Bible talks about being grafted into the root that is Jesus Christ. And in John 15 verse 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. I was thinking about this. I was thinking, what does it mean to be grafted into a branch? Paul talks about it in Romans. It's like, what does it mean? It's actually a, it's a process that botanists, people who do like plant work and stuff like that, they use to create a new plant. And they take a branch from one plant and they glue it to the stem of another plant. And it creates a new plant, a different type of plant. I don't know if you ever knew that existed in high school biology. I don't know if they do it here, but in, in England, they, we would do that. And they would show us like how to graft on a branch onto a stem. In order to receive the nature of Jesus, you have to be grafted on to him like a branch. You've got to be chopped off from your former way of life and stuck on to him. But when you look at this process, the most important time, the most important period is that sticking on. Because you can't just take the branch and just put it on and let go and hope it just takes immediately. No. It's just going to fall off. A lot of people try that in their lives. They become Christians and they come to church a few times and then they fall off. Like, oh, it didn't stick. I tried church, it didn't stick. Why? Because you didn't stick at it. When you graft the branch on, you actually have to bandage it up in order to hold it in place long enough for all the, 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 the tree nerves or the, the, they're like veins where the sap passes through to connect together. Once they're connected, then the blood of the tree, the sap can begin to flow into the new branch. It's like that with us. If we want a new nature, we have to cling to Jesus Christ. Up until the point where his blood starts to flow into us and through us. And we receive the very nature, the new DNA that is his in our lives. And we begin to change. The only way to receive the new nature is to stick to Jesus. It says in Deuteronomy 10, verse 20 and 21, I love this passage. It says this, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. I don't know if you've ever seen like a toddler who sees his parents. And toddlers are pretty smart. My son Nathan, he's got to that age where he doesn't talk a lot, but he, he understands everything that's going on. And when I start packing my bag, he realizes that I'm about to leave. And he does exactly that. He starts clinging to me. Like, he knows. Like, Dad, you're going to leave. And so he's like this. <laughs> and then when you pick him up, he's like, he grabs you. Anyone tries to get him off you, he's like, ah! He actually does that. <laughs> he, like, screams at you. But that's how we have to be with Jesus. And something comes along in our life that's trying to take us away from Jesus. Get away from me. I'm with Jesus. You're not allowed to take me. 
And then if they start to take you, you know, that toddler tantrum kicks in. You're like, <laughs> that's Noah, my other son. Don't leave me, Jesus. Don't let them take me. I want to be with you. I want to be like you. I want to be close to you. I want to get to that point where your blood starts to flow through me and you start to change me from the inside out. And notice what it says, what happens when you connect to Jesus long enough to be grafted in. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides or clings to me and I in him, he bears much fruit. That's when you start to grow, when you're stuck to Jesus. And what do you grow in? In Ephesians, it tells us what characterizes this new nature. It says right after, it says in Ephesians 4.24, it says, And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness. The new nature is characterized by two things, righteousness and holiness. God wants to produce righteousness and holiness in our lives. And he wants us to grow in righteousness and in holiness. And it's possible. All you got to do is cling to Jesus. Stick to him day in, day out in the things that you do. And the last thing that you have to take out is deceit. It talks about the lusts of deceit. Deceit or lies. The deceit of the enemy. The Bible talks about Satan in Revelation 12 as the one who deceives. He leads the whole world astray. What are you a product of in your life? Are you a product of lies or are you a product of truth? The thoughts that go through your head, are they lies or are they truth? How many lies have you accepted over your life? This is one of the biggest stumbling blocks. Not just for Christians, but for everyone. The lies of the devil. The Bible says the devil is the father of lies. Every lie comes from him. If you allow lies in your life, if you accept them, it leads to that corruption we were talking about. And that's the devil's goal, corrupt Jesus, Jesus' creation. Corrupt what God has created on this earth, which is us. By spreading lies, and he does it through our minds. What lies have you accepted? The answer, the fertilizer is the truth. It says right at the end of Ephesians 4 verse 24, it says, put on the new self which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The truth produces righteousness and holiness. Lies produce corruption and sin. What are you a product of in your life? If there's no fruit in your life, the chances are you've been accepting lies. 
Because the truth of God's word always produces and bears fruit. Look at what it says in Isaiah 55 and verse 11. Isaiah 55 and verse 11 says this, So will my, will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God sent his word through the Bible into this world with a mission to change us and to bear fruit in our lives. And, and the very word says about itself, it will not finish until it's born fruit, until it's accomplished what it was sent forth to do. If you accept the truth of God's word of your life in place of the lie, it will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. And you will start to grow. You'll grow in yourself, in your character. You'll grow in righteousness and holiness. But not only that, you'll begin to grow in others too. Because as we saw two weeks ago, the principle of harvest, where growth occurs, is not just about growth, it's about multiplication. When God sows a seed, he doesn't accept one in return, he accepts a multitude. When God sows the seed of the truth of his word in your life, he doesn't accept, expect just one in return. He expects you and a multitude. He expects you to go forth from this place and grow in your life and then reproduce that in others. That's the nature of harvest. And that's the nature of discipleship. That's what God has put us on this earth. Otherwise, there would be no point being here. He would just take us up to heaven right now. Some of you thought the point of being here was to, to get a job and, and just get through, survive. Pay your bills week in, week out. Get your car. Have your house. Build your family. That's not the point of life. The point of life is for you to grow and in turn to grow in others. So that when you go to heaven and Jesus examines your life and he says, where's the fruit? You can say, God, here it is. You sowed a seed in my life. And it has reaped a great harvest. That's the principle of harvest. And that's what God intends in our lives. That's what growth means. Today, he wants to do that in our lives. And I want to finish by looking at a prayer in the Bible. A prayer by a man who learned to give it all to Jesus. Even in his moment of weakness and sin, he turned to God and cried out for forgiveness. And I'm just going to read the, these words. I want you to listen very carefully. You don't have to turn to them. Just listen to what it says. This man, he said this. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me. With hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me 
a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. That man was David. And he wrote this after God convicted him of the sin that he committed when he committed adultery and murder. He cried out to God and he wrote this. He said, God, you desire truth in our innermost being. You desire the truth, not a lie. In other words, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to hide myself anymore. Here I am, the old me. The rust, the corruption, the lust, the deceit that I have allowed in my life. And I repent. And I give it to you. That you in turn might take the hyssop. Now the hyssop was the branch that Moses used to apply the blood of the lamb on the doorposts that provided protection. But it was also the branch that he used to sprinkle the people of Israel and cleanse them with the blood of Jesus, with the blood of the Lamb. And it's the, the same blood that covers us. It says, sprinkle me, purify me with the blood of Jesus, and I shall be clean, and I shall be new. And it says, give me a new heart, a pure heart that is uncorrupted, and renew that steadfast spirit. Renew that steadfast spirit within me. I want to invite you to stand. And I want to pray this prayer. Because I believe that there are some people here who need that renewing work in their lives. They've allowed things, lies to creep in. The corruption of the enemy. Even if it's only subtle, maybe small things, maybe big things. God wants to say to you today, it's time to let go. It's time to cut it out. It's time to stop it get something new but notice when David cried out he isn't trying to do it himself he's not trying to renew himself he's not trying to give himself a new heart you don't do this yourself God does it to you you all you have to do is give yourself up surrender your life new life doesn't come from you it comes from Jesus and this is his creative work in you. This is the work that he does in you. All you have to do is surrender yourself and say, God, here I am. All my sin and corruption. Take it up from me today, Lord. I give it to you. I cut it out. Lord, create in me a pure heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, cleanse me with your blood set me free from this old person so that I might be a new person that I might be a new tree God dig out all that soil all that rubbish all that stuff that doesn't edify doesn't build me up doesn't produce fruit God and today Lord place in me place in me that new spirit that new nature and the truth of your word 
I want to pray this prayer. I want to read this psalm and I want you to repeat it after me. Just say this with me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Just repeat it after me, everyone here. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. I'm going to say it again because I think you need to say it out loud. And say it with a loud voice. Because you need to declare it today. If there are things in your life that need cleansing, speak it out over those things. You know what they are. God wants to cleanse you. So repeat this after me in a loud voice, as loud as you can. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And if you prayed that, and you really meant it, in this very moment you're surrendering to God I want you to just lift your hands in this place as a sign of surrender just lift your hands everyone in this place as a sign of surrender and just allow God to begin to work in your heart allow God to begin to tear those things down allow God to begin to dig up the soil in your life just surrender it to him where you are just where you are, just begin to declare, God, I surrender my old self, my old way of thinking, the lies that I've accepted. I surrender them to you today. I repent, Lord, of allowing them in my life. Holy Spirit, come. Come in my heart and break down the walls, break down the things that I have built up so that you might bring a new life to me. In Jesus' name, I lift my voice and I declare, God, tear it down that you might give me a new heart. Tear out my old heart of clay rip it up, Lord God. Lord, rip out those things that do not please you. Lord, if I have not borne fruit, if I'm not growing, God, come into my life and change me. Give me that new nature. I want to be like you, Jesus. Oh, we lift our voices.